0: Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of We Got Balls, and today we have an interesting conversation. Scott and I just want to talk, and this is kind of how this got birthed. Scott, we used to get on the phone and we would just talk about stuff, and it would go like 25 or 30 minutes, and we would just be like, man, this is great. We ought to like record it, and we have, so now we're recording it. So today, we want to come to you with a unique perspective. Scott and I both uh, are men who are on a faith journey. We've both grown up in church circles And we've been impacted, me, for generations, frankly, uh, by people who have had faith. And Scott, you've got your own story about that and uh, where you walk with that. And so when we talk about the ideas of faith and people who are struggling or people who are expressing same-sex attraction, I think it's really important to just have an open and honest conversation. So we're going to have that today. And the the place, Scott, that I want to start is with a story, is I have a friend of mine who uh, grew up in the church with me, and um, we were in a conservative uh, evangelical church here in the South with the Bible Belt, and he uh, had suppressed a lot of his feelings of same-sex attraction. Uh, In fact, he he didn't talk about it hardly at all. He finally disclosed to me when when we were seniors in high school, and he was a guy who was just wrestling with it. He didn't know which way he wanted to go. He was absolutely committed to his faith. He was a faithful member of the church. Um, And he had never acted out on this desire, but he had never dated any women and people were starting to ask him. You know, we talk about it in different episodes. What was wrong with you, man? Are you gay? Are you gay? I gratefully, thankfully, had never gone to that place. I was just glad to be his friend. He was a cool dude. And so we began to talk about this. And one of the things he confided in me was that was not a safe place for him to say out loud. He didn't know. He didn't know what he really felt. And my heart went out to him because... I loved him. I mean, he was a friend of mine and he was a guy who has subsequently struggled and and ultimately left the church, left his faith journey because he didn't feel safe to be able to talk about his true uh, desires. In fact, it was safer for him to kind of transgress his values growing up than it was to try to stay true to these values that he had in the church and express uh, his attractions. So, um when we talk about this and I know Scott you got a lot of thoughts rolling around in your head as mm-hmm. even as I shared that story we're going to come at this from a place of compassion it's not going to be a political discussion it's not even really going to be a theological discussion we don't want to go there we're interested in the human experiences and inviting people into clarity into curiosity into compassion toward their stories and toward their struggle and this is one particular struggle that we have run into over and over and over and over again so, Scott, how would you like to begin, from your perspective, talking about faith in the same-sex journey?
0: Well, I guess I would talk about my own personal experience because this is an area where I struggled. And I came to Christ when I was 17. And the way that my struggle was dealt with was, I think now looking back on it, really abusive, um, to be honest with you. I was told I had demons and I had demons cast out of me. I uh, was, you know, constantly shamed. I was in accountability where I would go and confess where I had acted out, you know, with masturbation or fantasy and I would be interrogated. And then after 30 minutes of, you know, interrogation, be written a ticket that I ended up paying for with a lot more shame. And so I never really got a lot of help in the church for this struggle, I did get some compassion and care from other people, but they didn't know how to really help uh, until I started working in therapy and getting help for my sexual abuse that kind of, I think, laid some of the foundation for this, my family dynamics and so on. But this wasn't a path that I chose for myself. And in the guys that I've worked with, it's not a path that any of them chose either. They just discovered it more than, you know, kind of flipped the switch and decided, well, I'm going to be attracted to the same sex. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, very
1: popular be- opinion to have in that context in right. those days. Yeah.
0: Did you flip a switch and just decide you were going to be heterosexual, Chris? At yes, I
1: did. Actually, I woke up one day and I signed a card and mailed it in and they gave me my straight badge. I have right. a, actually I have a straight badge that I wear around here. It's got a big S on it and people call it a scarlet S, but it's really just a straight badge. I had no idea it was that, know- that easy. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, you know, all the other straight people, we have straight clubs and we talk about people who are same sex attracted behind their back. And we really we really do it up. It's it's a big party. And I'm being completely sarcastic when yeah. I say that, because uh, it's it's ridiculous. Nobody knows who they are and what they what they truly want, even as they're growing up. They just have feelings and they have desires and And everything, and and guys, if if you're listening to this, and and wives, of course, ladies, you're always welcome to listen as well. What you experience growing up is normal. You don't know any different growing up. There is no perspective of right, wrong, good, bad, except the things that have come to you from the outside that are rigid, rigid. So Scott, I I, want to pull over for just a second in this episode, and and I want to talk about desire. You know, attraction. In SSA, it's same sex attraction. And there has come, a, a, I'm sure it's been here for a long time, but there's come about in recent days this view from people who are in faith communities that if you even have an attraction to something that is not, and I'm going to use air quotes for people on the podcast, normal, normal or in scripture, you know, there is this experience of you're defective. You're you're bad. You're disqualified. You're other. You're an outsider. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of people who grew up with attractions that they couldn't explain what they had. And instead of receiving compassion and connection and curiosity, they received judgment and ridicule and shame and mm-hmm. condemnation. From just like you said, from the from the from the leadership, you, you got a demon in you. You're going to hell if you think or feel these things. No thoughts and no feelings are damnable. You can you can say that's a theological position if you want to. I just think it's humanity. Well, if you if, yeah. if you if you're if you're damned and you're condemned by your thoughts or your feelings, everybody's going to jail. Everybody's going to hell. Everybody should be shot right now.
0: Yeah. I would just, I would take it back a step and say, is there really anybody who doesn't struggle with sexual desires of some kind that they're ashamed of? No. So if we all have sexual desires that are outside the norm and we feel shame about them, why are we picking up on this particular one and focusing a lens on it other than for maybe the reasons of the culture wars? But why aren't you making that big an issue about no fault divorce then, or people that are having affairs, adulterous affairs. Why is same-sex attraction signaled out as the single most vehement sin or the this most disgusting sin in the face of Christianity? And the reason why is that sense of shame, right? There's there is an attempt to kind of shame this behavior but not just the behavior, the desires out of existence. And I don't think going back to the issue of if we all struggle with unwanted sexual desires, do we all understand why we struggle with those? I don't think we do. I think that's what you and I do as a living is try to help guys connect the dots between the things that they're very ashamed of in their sexual arousal template and what happened in their past, whether it was their development in their family system, the developmental trauma, or the additional trauma that they were subject to because of the developmental trauma, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, bullying, mm-hmm. poverty, whatever. Yep, spiritual abuse. It's all related to how we end up then, wh- however we go about seeking to find, how do, how do we deal with our desires and our disappointments? That's really mm. what our sexual life is all about. Mm. And instead of asking, why are you sexually attracted to that thing? What we should be asking is, What's the deep longing of your heart beneath that mm. thing? Mm. That's so
1: good, Scott, because when we, when we think about uh, why same-sex attraction was such an easily um, othered, e- easily demonized group, I think it's because we've got some people who are really lazy in reading their Bibles in the, in the Christian community. They just read Romans 1 and it popped out and they're like, well, these must be the worst people. These people must be the ones that we need to condemn. So we're going we're gonna to pick them out. And guess what? We can sacrifice them, and it really won't hurt us that much. And this is from somebody who's grown up in an environment that's surrounded by um, religious leaders and, and, and served myself in a position of religious leadership. And I can tell you that it's really easy to make a scapegoat of somebody when you are insecure about your own stuff when you have your own shame that you're carrying. And the sad part about that is, even even as I look back now, is the people that we sidelined and othered and made to feel as an outsider and unlovable, frankly, are the people who were the most creative, compassionate, and kind-hearted, and good members of our community who didn't have the support to develop that creativity and that kindness and that good heartedness and that beauty. Instead of having their beauty blessed and brought into the community and and, and magnified and, and spread all the way across all, all the, the parts of, of the, the groups so that it could be a blessing, it was targeted and used and suffocated, and it became um a shameful compulsion that they've wrestled with as part of their lives. The most beautiful people in the faith communities that I've been in are people who speak honestly from a place of brokenness. It's really hard to speak honestly from a place of brokenness, Scott, if you've never struggled in your desires, if you've never felt weakness and being left out, because you just line up and get in line. And I mean, it's it's like, for example, uh, we've talked about this a little bit. You remember playing um, like games in elementary school, middle school, where you get picked, right? So you go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Everybody's got team captain. Everybody picks somebody. And it's the last couple kids that are left. Those kids are seen as the weak links, right? I guarantee you that 90% of those kids grew up determined to never be the weak link again. They're the ones who, because they weren't really into athletics or they were a little small or a little effeminate or whatever they were, they were determined to supersede their environment, right? And it's those people that get put into that other category. It's many of those people who are stuck trying to overcompensate and and engage in um, their own identity building. And so they're the ones who get, ostracized and sidelined and called the other called the gay called the the uh the queer whatever words you want to put on them
0: yeah so i have an analogy if i grow up in a home where i'm never fed i get a, a cup of rice once a day and my my nurture, my, my nutrition is below subsistence levels, and, but that's it. I'm starving and I'm hungry all yes. the time. And then I go down to my friend's house and at his house, he's got bags and bags of Cheetos and Doritos and Snicker bars and Ho-Hos and Ding Dongs. And they're eating McDonald's hamburgers every night and drinking Cokes. And I go in and I sit down and I have a meal with him And that food that's engineered to be so good, salty, greasy, sugary, it is a super normal stimulus. It feels good in and of itself, but because I'm starving, it feels really good. It meets my need for nutrition at that moment. And I end up craving it because I've never had a good meal. And I tend to now want to go back and repeat that over and over again because it felt so good to have my stomach filled even with that junk food because junk food was better than no food. And over time, eating that way obviously develops some problems in my body. Maybe even the way my mind works. I don't function as well. Maybe I develop ADD. Maybe I start to develop obsessive compulsive disorder. There might be all, maybe I'm getting depressed because my body's always getting big drops of dopamine and then it's dropping me down. It has that net effect on creating this craving that I can never seem to satisfy. I start gaining weight. I'm going to get diabetes. I'm going to get heart disease. Do you want to criticize me for the way I'm eating or what I crave or how do you want to really help me? And so much of how the church has been on this particular issue is, well, Not only is the fact that you're starving your fault, but the fact that you want to eat is bad. So you just need to starve yourself for more. That's the solution that the church has offered to people who struggle with this particular same-sex attraction issue is not only is it your fault because you didn't eat well growing up, but you need to avoid contact with other men because that's going to trigger you sexually and you just can't control yourself. And I would put out there that actually that's the worst thing you could do. Because all that being attracted to the same sex in an erotic way indicates is that your needs, your same sex needs, which are legitimate for affection and attention and approval with other men, were never met at home. And and probably not, not only not never met, but probably then other boys bullied you or ostracized you because you were a little different, you were a little sensitive. Maybe you talked more like your mom because she was enmeshed with you. So you didn't learn how to have masculine mannerisms. So you get picked on, picked on, picked on, picked on, picked on until some guy shows you affection. But it comes with sexual strings, it comes with a trap. And it feels good. It feels like life. It feels like your hunger has been satisfied. And then you got to hide it because you crave it. It met a need that was long unmet. And yet it violated your values. It's not who you really want to be. And you know you won't be accepted if anybody else knows. You see the bind. And it's interesting that the Bible uses hunger and thirst as a metaphor for sexual desire. How do you want to treat a person who's starving to death? How do you want to treat a person who is thirsting? Do you want to condemn them? Do you want to condone them? Just, oh, go ahead, do whatever you want, eat, you need to eat. Or do you want to have compassion and help meet their legitimate needs? And unfortunately, the church tends to Lean to the condemned side. Let's shame this behavior out of existence. Let's shame people until they don't desire this anymore, which that is a great way to make the desire more compulsive. Exactly. What you shame, you get more of. Yes. Yes. Or do you want to be like the world and just condone it? It doesn't matter what you do with your penis. Whoever you have sex with doesn't matter as many times as you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. It doesn't matter. I don't think that's very kind either. I think what's kind is you need some male affection. Come here. Let me give you a hug.
1: Yeah. And Scott, that's what my heart wants to do to that little boy, that little hungry rice eating boy, that hungry, lonely, emotionally starving, um, ignored, yelled at, um, punished, uh, just suppressed little boy who longs to connect, longs for affection, longs for beauty, longs for healthy touch. And yet it doesn't show up and it doesn't show up and it doesn't show up. And like you're describing one day it shows up, but it shows up in a way where you've got to give a piece of yourself to get it. You've got to pay a price to be connected and you you long for that. I long for that. And yet it creates a a molding, a formation of need in a way that you know, we would both agree doesn't work best in life. I mean, just even biologically, um, you know, being um, in a, a lifelong relationship with someone of the same sex means it's really difficult to have kids and procreate and to pass on your legacy.
0: It just, it doesn't work. You know, I know a lot of married gay guys that, you know, they, they have husbands, but they don't have sex with their husband, They either just masturbate to porn or they have an open relationship. So it doesn't deliver on the promise of meeting the needs. It's just a temporary fix for a long-term wound. And, you know, I'll, I'll get a little religious here. John chapter four is a story about this in a way. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus goes out of his way to go to a village in Samaria, and he sits down exhausted, and this Samarian woman comes in the middle of the day to gather water. Now, what we know about that is she was ostracized from everybody else in her community uh, because she was coming in the middle of the day. And That's the so she was
1: she was othered. She was a sexual deviant in a lot of respects. She was seen as somebody who was unclean, even in a community where they really didn't have as many rules and regulations as a lot of religious communities have.
0: Well, I'll I'll give it to you this way: she was the wrong religion because she's a Samaritan. They had a totally different religion from the Jews. She's the wrong, you know, race samaritans jews they don't get along she's the wrong sex because she's a woman and jewish males don't talk to women during the day and she's the wrong kind of person she's been married five times and she's living with a guy she's not even married to she's immoral now these are four social norms that jesus absolutely walked right over to go out of his way to talk to this woman and he is one of the only people in the gospels that he tells i'm the messiah This makes me a big believer in the Gospel of John, because if you wanted Jewish males to believe that story, you would never put that story in the Bible. If you wanted them to believe Jesus was the Messiah, you would never put that story in the Bible. It's ridiculous. It's laughable. But look at the context. It's taking place at a well, which is a metaphor for female sexuality. Proverbs Mm -hmm. chapter four. And -hmm. Jesus is having a conversation about thirst which is a metaphor for sexual desire. And he says to her, can you give me a drink of water? She's like, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. You guys don't have any dealings with us. I'm an outcast, remember? He's like, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him and he'd give you water that wouldn't keep you thirsty. He's saying, honey, I know you're thirsty and I'm gonna satisfy your thirst. Unlike these men that you've tried to get to satisfy your thirst. Hmm. that's if you want to look at what jesus really offers people that's it he's going up to the person that's struggling with same-sex attraction and he's offering himself and that's what we should be doing in the faith community is offering ourselves to people that are struggling to say i want can i walk with you in this can i be your friend
1: and I would say, Scott, that f- this is faith communities across the spectrum. And that might get me canceled by some of the r- uh, rigid folks. If, if you're rigid and you're listening to this, by the way, why? <laughs> we're, we're very crass. We're, we're trying to piss you off consciously, not because we just like making people mad, but we believe that the truth about love is offensive. And we're inviting people to love in a radical way that transgresses a lot of the rules and norms that human organizations and institutions like to cling to for power and control. Faith, as a matter of practice, works across the board. And you can say you're of a Christian faith or a Jewish faith or a Muslim faith, and there's a lot of—and even in a Buddhist or Hindu faith, right— um, even in an animist faith, there, there's there's principles that you pick up. But I think if you listen and you listen intently, uh, I'm not a universalist, but what I am saying is there's a through line that works for every human being. I believe that Jesus is the one that speaks most clearly to this through line. And what Scott just described in the passage in John chapter four is a testament to how we as human beings, can invite other people into their brokenness. He had every reason to walk away or condemn or other this woman. But instead, he was curious. He was kind. He was patient. And he sat with her and saw her pain, which was causing the behaviors. Guess what? all the same-sex attraction and all the uh, same-sex acting out and all the arousal template stuff and all the compulsive sexual uh, disorder stuff, the behavior is just merely the symptom. Ladies and gentlemen, if we can just see that the behavior is not the problem, good, stop the behavior. Heard a great story a few months ago, Scott, about about a friend of mine who was in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had a buddy... He'd been sober. He hadn't had a drink in 20 years. Now, this friend of his, unfortunately, couldn't go hang out with his buddies on Saturday to go fishing because his friends drank and he couldn't be around people who drank. And then when he went over to his family's house, they would pull out alcohol and he would have to leave because he couldn't be around alcohol. So do you know what he'd been doing for the majority of that 20 years? Sitting at his house alone, being sober. That sounds like a great time in recovery. Mm. That is what we're trying to do when we try to shame people to change their behaviors is we're simply seeing the behavior as bad or evil. And if you just stop the behavior, then you'll be good. And it's bullshit. It's bullshit. What we have to see and what I, and I'm just be very vulnerable. What it's taken me a long time to see. I used to be that guy who tried to shame behaviors and change people. What it's taken me a long time to see is The through line into transformation and growth and healing and connection is loving the person. And don't give a shit about the sin so that we can walk with them into their brokenness and together experience what it means to know, love and be loved and heal as human beings in community.
0: One of the guys in my group this week told just a heartbreaking story. Now, this is a guy that has struggled with same-sex attraction all his life that he can remember. He's never acted on it, so he's celibate. He's a godly guy. He um, has taught at a Christian school all his life. And he talked about this friend of his that he had this beautiful friendship with in college. This was his closest friend. And over the course of the story... The friendship began to dissolve as his friend became more and more religious. Went to a seminary, started to withdraw from him, wouldn't talk to him, and then finally ended up to where they hadn't talked in 20 years. And the friend called him one day, said, hey, I'm coming to town. Can you pick me up at the airport and take me to my meeting? That was the first conversation they'd had in 20 years. And that's all he did is serve as an errand boy for this guy at the end of their relationship and he's telling this story and it was a story of complete and utter shame-based religious rejection and he couldn't see it because he was so loyal to his friend and so we said can you can you just name that he was embarrassed that you might struggle with same-sex attraction and he didn't want to be seen with you because he's in the seminary he's a pastor now man what a what a heartbreaking story and yet it's repeated Millions of times for people and that's not how anybody changes is by being othered and ostracized and shamed
1: And guys cut just come at me for this statement if you want to um, you can you can send messages on YouTube or to um, uh, we got balls zero zero at gmail.com send them on That is not a path of faith. Mm -mm. I'm sorry. It's just not. It goes against every example of faith that we see from wisdom, literature, and Scripture. It goes against every path of faith that we see modeled in the great—we call them saints if you want to—but just the great human beings in history who trusted that this is how we can move forward and grow as a culture and a a species— they are were all people who loved unconditionally and accepted unconditionally and sorted it out cuz i i can tell you i am not i am not a person who has an authority on this all i have is what i've screwed up on to speak from and i've lost friendships i have hurt people i have created harm in my effort to get it right. And there's no such thing. And so what we want to do in this conversation, guys, is we want to just offer a a love letter of compassion. If you're in a place where you're struggling with these issues and you feel like you can't talk about these issues and you just, just want to know, well, somebody listen to me. We're here. We are here. We are sorry. We apologize on behalf of all of the people of faith, who have made you feel less than or bad or dirty or uh, perverted or anything. That was unloving and not faith. We want to invite you into a journey where you can begin to heal with other people who can see you and love you just as you are. Guys, um, I'm going to speak on Scott's behalf because I love you, brother. And I know this has been a journey that you've walked and I have tears in my eyes, thinking about the suffering that you and many other people like you have had to endure just to stand up and say, I believe, and to stand to tell your story.
0: Hey, I'm, I'm still walking it, and I'm going to be walking it until the last day on earth, but here's the difference. I found a way to walk it in community with others who can see my story, who can engage me with kindness and care and curiosity and who will give me attunement and help me regulate my affect and my big emotions when i'm struggling that's how you do it there's no destination point in it the destination was community and so that's our invitation if if you're struggling whatever you're struggling with sexually the solution is not isolation secrets and hiding self contempt judgment none of that the solution is finding a community where you can be seen as you are especially in the places of shame and you can be soothed you can feel safe and that gives you the security to go out back into the world to believe that god can bring beauty and goodness to you through the world because i don't care who you are you're an image bearer of god and that cannot be obliterated and in fact even at your worst, even in your most depraved moments, you're burying the image of God in some way. So we want to, we want to bless you and your story and, and help walk with you and help you find community where you can grow and experience authentic joy and peace. And we got your back. We got your back. Because that growth is what you were meant for.
1: It's why you're here on this earth. It's why you continue to breathe air. It's why you listen, because you want to heal. and You want to see things change to become, to understand the purpose that you were made for. And that's a beautiful thing. So we'll be back next week for another, you know, silly little topic around sexual arousal. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about how much we care about you here on We Got Balls. And you do too. Take care, guys.
0: Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.